Welcome back to Magna Vita. I'm Alex Olson. Every Tuesday, we share the best practices and principles from the week's top podcasts. Every Friday, we share a bonus episode to help us build a great life. Obviously, this isn't coming out on Friday. Want to apologize. Had some travel with Sarah for work stuff. And so unfortunately, this is coming out a little late, but I hope it still helps. In last week's Failure Friday, we talked about how Iliad Kipchoge had to fail to find and run his race before he became the first person to run a full marathon 26.2 miles in less than two hours. Every other week, we'll be reviewing a book we just read. This will be our 14th book review. Sticking with the theme of how our weaknesses can become our strengths, Malcolm starts the book talking about David versus Goliath, and it's an incredible reframe on the story that we've all known and heard about, but it's such a powerful new way to look at it. Malcolm talks about how Goliath was six foot nine and he was expecting close combat, but David was a shepherd. He wasn't going to play by Goliath's rules. He picked up five stones, his sling, and he slayed Goliath. David could have slung and hit Goliath in little more than a second. So Gladwell is talking about how this perceived weakness was actually one of David's strengths. He wasn't going up and trying to fight Goliath hand to hand. He knew what he was best at, and he stuck to that. Gladwell says, David was successful because he could see Goliath for who he truly was. And he goes on to talk about how many medical experts now believe that Goliath had a serious medical condition, acromegaly, which is a tumor causing an overproduction of human growth hormone, which explains Goliath's size. One of the common side effects of this tumor is vision problems. Goliath was accompanied to the battlefield by an attendant, which would be very unnecessary and doesn't, is only explained if that person was also his visual guide to help him get there. And another proof that Goliath was struggling with vision problems is that when Goliath said, come to me, he he was talking to David and he could not properly see David. So he needed David to come to him. But even furthermore, When David approached with his sling, Goliath Goliath said, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? But David only had one stick. Goliath saw two. The very thing that gave the giant his size was also his source of his greatest weakness. The powerful and the strong are not always what they seem. But more importantly for us, Our weaknesses in a different setting, or if we play to our strengths, we can overcome those weaknesses and they can actually empower us to reach our full potential. The first part of the book is called The Advantages of Disadvantages and the Disadvantages of Advantages. So Malcolm is just saying that, again, that our weaknesses can be our strengths, but our strengths can also be our weaknesses. 
and he expands on the example of David versus Goliath and he talks about how it applies to war. And he said when they've gone back in history and they've compared the two sides, they found that when the weaker side uses guerrilla tactics, it beats the bigger, stronger side 63.6% of the time. This means that almost two out of three wars are won by the weaker party when they play to their strengths and don't fight like the bigger country. And the point that Malcolm talks about with this is that underdogs win all the time, but most of the time underdogs don't fight like David. We think we have to play the game by Goliath's rules, but we can play our own game. But that doesn't make it easy to do so. Underdog strategies are hard. We have to go against the grain. We have to go against conventional wisdom. Goliath, or sorry, Gladwell says to play by David's rules, you have to be desperate. You have to be so bad that you have no choice. His greatest disadvantage is what made his winning strategy possible. Goliath is not quite the giant he thinks he is. So I think applying this to our lives, it's just important to remember that a lot of times we limit ourselves or we say we're not, don't have the right credentials, we haven't had the right job, the right school, we're not good enough to go be a friend or date someone that we want to. And it's so important to not limit ourselves and to recognize whatever hard experiences we've had in the past are preparing us for today. They're strengthening us, they're building us up so that we can reach our full potential. Sticking with the idea of how an advantage can become a disadvantage, Malcolm shares a really interesting example about a girl who, when she was in high school, she was an incredible student. She loved science and it's what she did for fun. It was her passion. I know that's cliche, but that she truly loved doing it. And so she was deciding where to go to college. She had different options because of how successful she'd been. And she eventually decided between two, was deciding between two schools. She was gonna go to a state school or she was gonna go to an Ivy League school, Brown University. And she ended up going to Brown and most people would say that's the right decision. She was giving herself the best chance for success. It's the most notable, the, uh, the most well-recognized, has the best rankings. But Malcolm makes a really interesting point that for her, this was not necessarily the right choice. And he talks about how when she went to Brown, she compared herself to her peers there. And compared to them, she didn't feel like she was smart enough for science. So she changed her major and left her passion behind. Zooming out from this example, there's a really important principle and Malcolm says it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. So that can have really important implications for where we go to school or what job we take. And I don't know that I 100% agree with it. I think it's important to look at our individual situation, but Malcolm makes some really interesting points. He says small ponds are welcoming places for those on the inside. They have support, community, and friendship. 
innovation and individuality are not frowned upon. It's the little pond that maximizes your chances to do whatever you want. On the other hand, the big pond takes really bright students and demoralizes them. And this is so important because we form our impressions not globally, but locally to people in the same boat as ourselves. That's why happy countries, a lot of them in Europe, have higher suicide rates than other places because the people there hear about how happy everyone is, they see how happy everyone is, and they question why they don't feel as happy, why they're not as good. And so in conclusion, Malcolm says, we strive for the best and attach great importance to getting into the finest institutions we can, but rarely do we stop and consider whether the most prestigious of institutions is always in our best interest. The second part of the book is titled The Theory of Desirable Difficulty. And the idea is that our lives become better, or we become better, through difficult times, difficult circumstances. Malcolm says we excel by making our lives harder. And he cites three specific benefits. First, we develop other skills. Second, we become stronger. And third, we have unexpected freedom from having nothing to lose. We get to break the rules. And the first example that he shares to talk about this is how an extraordinarily high number of successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. So this is something we think would make it incredibly hard to succeed, it makes it hard to read, and it makes it so a lot of people struggle in school. But Malcolm shares an example of two people who have been extremely successful. And, and just another example that he quickly mentions is Richard Branson. So there are incredibly successful people who, by coping with the effects of dyslexia, have developed crucial strengths. They've learned how to be disagreeable, how not to worry about what other people think. Because in school, when they're struggling, they have to learn to push through those hard times. And Malcolm says, innovators need to be disagreeable. They have to be willing to take social risks, to do things others might disapprove of. And he shares a great quote from George Bernard Shaw, who said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And to close this chapter, Malcolm shared a really powerful example of a man named Gary Cohn. I think I'm hopefully saying his name right. He struggled in school. He kind of bounced between jobs when he decided he wanted to try to become a trader on Wall Street. But he didn't have the normal credentials, so he had to figure out a way to break in. So he found someone who looked like they were important, and he saw that they, so he tracked this person for a little bit, and he saw that one day he was going to get in a taxi. And so Gary lied and said that he was also going to the airport and asked if he could share the taxi with the person. So this is something that had huge potential to fail. 
to go wrong and to look really bad for Gary. And in the car ride, he kept lying. He lied about his credentials, said that he knew all about options trading. And that was the first step to him getting a job with this person. And that would be the foundation to Gary becoming the president of Goldman Sachs. So because he wasn't afraid to fail, because he'd already failed with dyslexia, so many times in school, he was willing to put himself out there. Gary says, My upbringing allowed me to be comfortable with failure. Dyslexic people are so accustomed to the downside, it doesn't phase us. I wouldn't be where I am today without my dyslexia. I never would have taken that first chance. So dyslexia is just one example, but I think no matter what it is in our life, we can reframe that weakness and we can see how it's helped us to learn and to grow to reach our full potential. The next chapter about desirable difficulty talks about the idea of post-traumatic growth. He talks about how trauma can make us stronger and more resilient. And I really like this message because in the military, we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress, but we don't talk enough about post-traumatic growth, how those hard times can make us better and more resilient. And the example that he shares that's really interesting is in World War II, when Nazi Germany flew over London and bombed the city. And so if we try to imagine being there in that moment, it sounds like it would be terrifying to imagine bombs exploding, sirens going off, and constantly being in fear of our life if we weren't safe. And there's nothing these people could really do. They could try to run to shelter, but for some people, tragically, there was nothing they could do. And the statistics are pretty amazing. There were 46,000 people in London who were killed in these bombings, and another 46,000 were injured. A million buildings were damaged or destroyed. But what's interesting is the terror and the panic never came. For people that survived the bombings, it left them feeling, as Malcolm says, excited and invincible. A young woman whose house was shaken by a bomb said, never in my whole life have I ever experienced such pure and flawless happiness. A researcher said, the conquering of fear produces exhilaration, promotes a self-confidence that is the very father and mother of courage. I really like this definition of courage because it shows us that we have to fear something first. We have to go through a hard time to show ourselves what we're capable of. Malcolm says, Courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and you discover that they aren't so tough after all. We as a society need people who have emerged from some kind of trauma. And to be clear, traumatic experiences can have a disastrous effect on people. They don't affect everyone the same way. But the same event can be profoundly damaging to one group while still leaving another better off. So what's important when we've been, I've done some work with resiliency in the Air Force and with victims of sexual assault, I think it's important to reframe that experience. 
to try to find the good of how it strengthened us and to control what we can control about it. And if we reframe it, we can show ourselves how, yes, we've experienced trauma, but we've also survived and we've become stronger because of it. The last section of the book is titled The Limits of Power. It's a great section for two reasons. The first is it's a moving cautionary tale. It warns us that when we become powerful, when we think that everything is going for us and we're invincible, it's at that moment when we can be most vulnerable and we can't become overconfident or cocky because that's when we'll fail and that's when we'll fall. The second reason that this section is powerful is it shows really interesting examples of how people and organizations and countries, when they think that we put them on a pedestal and we think they're invincible and the most powerful, that they really don't have as much power as we give them, that they are still vulnerable and reliant on other people and organizations. And so they share great examples, Malcolm shares great examples of this But for time, we just wanted to share one, and it's about America and the Vietnam War. And Malcolm talks about how America was essentially destined from the beginning to fail because America knew nothing about its enemy. When we went into it, we thought that our men and our money would be more than enough. We thought that we had the best weapons, and so we would be able to force the Viet Cong the communist, to give in, to give up. But Malcolm says the war was going to last a long time because the communists were never going to give up. They had a different purpose and they were fighting for a different reason. And when you listen to interviews that Americans did trying to better understand the Viet Cong, that came out, but we weren't listening. He says other government and military advisors filtered everything they learned through the overpowering logic of military force, which said that if one side was big enough and strong enough, then the weaker party eventually had to give in. But as we know, that's not true. The Viet Cong were able to be more determined and more dedicated to their cause And because of that, our men and our money were not enough. Our weapons could not be enough. And there's a great quote to close out this section that is powerful and shows how this example applies beyond just the Vietnam War. Malcolm says, Having too much money and material is as debilitating as having too little. Being an underdog, having nothing to lose, opens up possibilities. History and experience teach us to be suspicious of Goliath because the very thing that makes the giant so terrifying is also the source of his weakness. So to summarize and finish up the book review, we just wanted to share the lessons that we talked about and some of the favorite quotes we had from the book. So just to reiterate, those lessons are when Malcolm talks about how our weaknesses can become our strengths, 
how we can play our own game, how difficult times teach us new skills and make us stronger, and how sometimes Goliath is weak because of his strengths. And these are such important messages because in life today, it's so easy to feel like David. Whether we didn't come from the perfect family, if we haven't gone to the perfect school or had the perfect jobs, it can feel like we're constantly going up against giants, that they have all the advantages. But when we look at our own disadvantages, we can see how they've helped us to become who we are today, how they've strengthened us and built us into the person that we are, where we can overcome those hard times and we too can slay our own Goliaths. And to wrap up, just a couple of quotes that we really like from the book. Malcolm says, Look at the shepherd and the giant and understand where power and advantage really lie. These lessons affect the decisions we make as parents, the schools we choose to attend, and the way we fight wars and battle crime. It shapes the way we understand creativity and entrepreneurship and the way the oppressed seek to take on bullies and tyrants. Out of despair rises an indomitable force. So much of what is beautiful and valuable in the world comes from the shepherd who has more strength and purpose than we ever imagined. Sometimes shepherd boys aren't underdogs at all. In closing, we hope this book review helps you build a great life today. Thank you for the reviews and sharing the podcast. It makes such a difference as we try to help someone each week. Thank you for listening. We know you're really busy and it means a lot that you're here. We'll see you on Tuesday.